Evidence and Answers. Throughout history, many men have claimed the title Son of God. Men such as the Pharaoh of Egypt, the Emperors of Rome, the Emperors of China, and Japan all claim to be divine. Jesus claimed to be the unique divine Son of God. What makes Jesus different? Which one of these men confirmed their claim to that title? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is a popular teacher and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat explains how Jesus uniquely confirmed his claim to be the one and only Son of God. Let's join Pat now as he presents his lesson on the supremacy of Christ. All right, Matthew chapter 5. As we begin, let's pray together. Father, we pray that the things we study would transform our lives as we come to a greater understanding of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I grew up in a Buddhist family, but rejected Buddhism in my teenage years because I realized it was not a livable system. And as I was exposed to all the other religions, they were simply fairy tales and mythology. And that's what I was taught in my school, that the Bible was just a bunch of legends and myths of these ancient prophets and some guy named Jesus. And so I eventually rejected all religions as mythology and fairy tale and just became an atheist. Well, at 18 years old, I heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the God of the universe loved me and wanted desperately to be a part of my life and came in the form of a man and suffered on the cross and died for my sins to make that relationship possible. And that intrigued me, but it led me to ask the question, is Christianity true? What makes Jesus different from anyone else in history? Why should I surrender my life and follow him? So this led me to a study of the life of Jesus, and I soon discovered Jesus was unlike any other person who walked upon the earth. Now we know that the Gospels and the New Testament are a very accurate historical record of the life of Christ. Hundreds of archaeological discoveries, non-Christian historical sources, the Jewish Talmud, Josephus, Roman historical works, Celsus, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, and others confirm the events of the Gospels. And we know that the Gospels are written very early. Historians know it takes about two to three generations, about a hundred years for legends to develop. The Gospels are written way too early in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. That's, so we have compelling evidence that this is a very accurate historical record of the life of Christ. Dr. William F. Albright, one of the, the father of modern Middle Eastern archaeologists, one of the greatest archaeologists of all time, said, in my opinion, every book of the New Testament was written by a baptized Jew between the 40s and the 80s of the first century, very probably between 50 and 75 A.D. John Robinson, the leader of the Death of God movement, one of the most liberal critics at the end of his life, wrote a commentary rewriting the dating of the New Testament, and he puts the Gospels very early. In other words, the fact that they're written so early in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses assures us that they cannot be legend. It's too short for legends to develop. Legends take about two to three. All the eyewitnesses must pass from the scene in order for legends to begin to stick. If they're written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, there's too many who are alive who can verify your accounts is true or false. So what we have in the New Testament is a very accurate historical record of the life of Christ. And Jesus made an astounding claim. He claimed to be the one and only unique 
divine son of God. Now, anyone can make that claim. The pharaoh of Egypt claimed to be divine. The emperors of Rome claimed to be divine. The emperors of China and Japan claimed to be divine. Anyone can make that claim. The question is this. Who has demonstrated the authority to rightfully claim that title? And in Christ, we have a man who demonstrated his authority over every realm of creation and therefore demonstrated the authority to make this claim. No other man has ever demonstrated the authority over all creation as Jesus Christ. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, the reason Matthew wrote was to convince the Jews, this is your king. The king has arrived. All right. So Matthew chapters 1 through 4 is the introduction to the king. From Matthew 5 to 11 is the credentials of the king. And here Jesus demonstrates his authority to claim the rightful title as the king of all creation. We begin in Matthew chapter 5. Now, 5 through 7 is the Beatitudes. It represents perhaps the greatest teaching that has ever been uttered from any person who has set foot upon the earth. The power and the insight of the Beatitudes still can be felt to this day. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I want to highlight something here. You see this phrase throughout the Beatitudes in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, Anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. Verse 31. You have heard that it was said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. Once again, verse 35. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people of long ago, do not break your oath, but keep your oaths as you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, knife for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is correcting the oral teachings and the traditions of the Jewish law. He was correcting the false interpretations with the true teachings from the word of God. You see, when the Pharisees and the scribes taught, they would teach like this. They would read a verse from the Old Testament, and then they would go down and they say, according to the conservative school of Shammai, this is the interpretation. Blah, 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 they would read. According to the liberal school of Hillel, this is the interpretation. Blah, 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 they would read. Then they'd read the next verse, and they'd say, now according to the conservative school of Shammai, this is the interpretation. According to the liberal school of Hillel, this is the interpretation. And that's how they taught. Sounds kind of boring, huh? Unlike, I'm sure, the teaching you get here. However, when Jesus taught, he did not quote from these schools at all, but taught with such insight, with such understanding, with such command of the law, that the people were completely amazed. Here was a man with no, quote, formal training, yet he taught with such tremendous insight and understanding and command of the law, the people were amazed at the power at which he taught. And in verse 7, when he was done, in verse 29, it says, 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. You see, Jesus demonstrates authority over the law. And the teachings of Christ, the power of his teachings, can still has impacted the world like no other and still can be felt today. More hospitals are built in the name of Christ than any other person in the history of the world. More music is written in the name of Christ than any other person in the history of the world. He has impacted, his teachings have impacted and transformed cultures and nations. For example, more systems of law and justice have been built on the teachings of Christ than any other person in the history of the world. Let me give an example. Perhaps the greatest and most free democracy history has ever seen is the United States of America. And people have wondered where in the world did the founding fathers get the ideas that created this wonderful democracy. Two professors from the University of Pennsylvania did a groundbreaking study, Donald Lutz and Charles Heinemann, and examined 15,000 documents from our founding fathers dating from 1760 to 1805. And one thing you don't learn in your history books, because they have been revised in many ways to take these things out. One thing that was discovered, the most quoted source by far was the Bible. 34% of the quotes came from the Bible. 8% from Montesquieu, 7% from Blackstone, 3% from Locke. But by far, the Bible was the most quoted source. In fact, Many of the ideas for the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers, come from the Bible. In fact, we can get direct quotes from the sermons of the pastors that were preached at that time. See, the pastors would preach their sermons, and then it would be published in writing, and they'd be passed out throughout the East Coast. And a lot of the ideas that our founding fathers got came from these pastors' sermons. Of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, 24 had degrees from seminary. Take a look at some of the early documents. The Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Creation, creator, God-given inalienable rights. Where in the world does that come from? It comes right here from the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Bible. John Locke, whose philosophy was extremely important in shaping the ideas of the Founding Fathers, said this, Of the study of morality, of this there are books enough, written both by ancient and modern philosophers. But the morality of the gospel doth so exceed them all, that to give a man full knowledge of true morality, I shall send him to no other book but the new Testament. A leading scholar from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences speaking to a group of Westerners in 2002 stated that his team was researching the answer to this question. What is it that made America such a free and prosperous nation in such a short period of time? Never in history have we seen a nation prosper so quickly as the United States. And after months of intense research, his team concluded this, and this comes from a bunch of atheists, all right? It was not the military might of the United States, nor our political system, nor our economic system. But he stated that it was the Christian moral foundation that made possible the emergence of free market trade 
and democracy. The teachings of Christ have had a powerful impact on cultures and nations all over the world. That's because Jesus has authority over the law. Now, chapter 8, verse 1, When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Jesus said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And he said, I'm willing, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Leprosy is a horrible disease that eats away at the body. And in Jesus' day, there's no cure. And even today, it takes a while to heal someone from this dreaded disease. Yet Jesus instantly healed the man with a touch. And he said, go show yourself to the priests. In other words, this was a wake-up call to the priests. When they saw this man completely cured, they should have known, wait a minute, someone with special authority has arrived upon the scene. And then in verse 5, a centurion comes up to him and he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said, I'll go and heal him. And the centurion said, Lord, I do not deserve for you to come into my house, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says the word. He doesn't even have to go there and touch the man. And the servant is healed. And then we read in verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. Those three stories of healing are one story. And look at the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. That was instant. In fact, most of us, when we get a fever, even after we recover, it takes about a day or two to get our strength back. She instantly got it back and was serving them. And the passage ends, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our disease. Jesus demonstrates authority over disease. He is supreme over the law. He is supreme over disease. No one in history demonstrates this kind of authority over disease. Jesus is supreme over the law. He is supreme over disease. Then look in verse 23. It says, Then he got into the boat, and with his disciples they followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came up upon them in the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. He replied, You little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus demonstrates authority over nature. Now, the power of the oceans, we know how great it is. It can toss a tanker like a little toy. And the passage here says it was a furious storm. Literally translated, it was a great turbulence. And remember, several of the disciples here are veteran fishermen, and they are terrified at the storm that they are in. But Jesus, with his command, halts the winds and the waves instantly. No other person 
demonstrates authority over creation as Jesus. God confirms his message and messengers with acts of God, miracles. And no one demonstrates authority over every realm of creation as Jesus does. In the Quran, the holy book of Islam, Muhammad performs no miracles. He is asked several times, show us a sign that we may, or a miracle, that we may know you are the prophet of Allah. For the prophets of Allah are confirmed by miracles. And he refuses to do any. He simply says, look at the Quran, that is enough. Buddha, in the earliest scriptures, we know, does not do any miracles. Buddhist scholars will tell you that. Confucius does not do any. Only in Christ do we have someone who showed authority over every realm of nature. Christ is supreme over the law. Christ is supreme over disease. Christ is supreme over nature. Then we pick it up in verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us? Son of God, they shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? When he arrived to the Gedarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, and they knew who he was, and they were absolutely terrified of Jesus. The demons knew his coming to earth meant their impending doom was near. And they plead with him, don't send us to our place of torment now. And instead of being disembodied spirits, they plead for something else. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out, went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. So instead of being disembodied spirits, they plead to go into the pigs, and the pigs go insane and meet their death going over a cliff into the lake. But Jesus demonstrates authority over angels and demons. He is supreme over the spiritual realm. No other person demonstrates authority over the spiritual realm as Jesus. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, in the earliest, most authoritative biography by Ibn Ishaq, Sirat Rasul, the life of the prophet Muhammad, he writes that Muhammad suffered from demon possession at least three times in his life. When he was a young boy, his nurse and uncle believed that he had been possessed by a demon. The second time occurred when he received his prophetic call. The angel Gabriel came and grabbed him and choked him and shook him really hard to the point where he passed out. And he ran home to his wife Khadija and hid under the blanket and said, cover me, cover me. Prophet or possessed, I do not know which I am. And Ibn Ishaq records that he thought he was demon-possessed, and he went up to a cliff. He wanted to throw himself off the cliff. The third time occurred after his prophetic call, when he received the revelation allowing Muslims to worship the three gods of his tribe. But then later he admitted he was possessed by Satan when he uttered those verses, the famous satanic verses, chapter 17 of the Quran. And Allah forgave him and called him to repent with a very stern warning. Muhammad demonstrates no authority. He struggled with the demonic all his life. No one demonstrates authority over the spiritual realm as Christ did. When the demons showed up, 
they were absolutely terrified of Christ and pleaded and begged with him to show them some mercy. You know, in many countries where there are witch doctors who claim to control demons and can communicate with the spirits of the dead, their power is greatly feared for it is believed many can put a curse on you or the witch doctors in Hawaii called the kahuna. It is believed that at night when your soul wanders, they can capture and control your soul. But there is no need for the Christian to fear such men and women for Christ is supreme over angels and demons. He has authority over the spiritual realm. There's no need to fear the witch doctors or others who claim to have control of dark demonic forces. Christ is supreme over all. Christ demonstrates authority over the law, authority over disease, authority over nature, authority over angels and demons. Then in chapter 9, it says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralytic lying on a mat, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Jesus demonstrates authority over sin. Now somehow, when this man enters, Jesus knows that his sickness is somehow caused by sin. And Jesus declares, son, your sins are forgiven. And one thing everybody understands, nobody has that authority, only God himself. If I were to come in today and say, in the name of Pat Zucaran, all the sins you've committed are forgiven today, you'd say, this guy's nuts, get him off the stage. Well, that's what Jesus was doing. He claimed to have the authority to forgive this man's sin as something that was clear. That's authority only God himself has. And Jesus says, so that you may know I have this authority. I'm going to do something physically to show you I have this authority over the realm of sin. And so he does a physical miracle to demonstrate his spiritual authority over sin. And he tells this man, rise up and walk, demonstrating authority over sin. Jesus demonstrated authority over sin by living a sinless, perfect life life. No one has ever done that. Buddha struggled with selfish desires for much of his life. Muhammad throughout the Quran is told to confess his sin and repent and ask for forgiveness. Confucius spoke of what he called the ideal man. And in the Analects of Confucius, he says, I myself have not attained to the ideal, nor have I ever seen the ideal man. Yet in Christ, we have a man who demonstrated authority over sin and lived a sinlessly perfect life. Even the enemies of Christ couldn't find any sin to pin on him. This concludes part one of Pat's message on the supremacy of Christ. This message, along with others, and a host of great resources from Pat, 
are available at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us here next time as Pat presents part two of this message on the supremacy of Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers.